Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4192 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for one of the most visual worlds of all time, you'd have to say, with me, Andy Zaltzman, one of the least visual comedians of all time, uh, in a shed. Um, <laughs> it is Monday, the 26th of April, 2021, and if you forget about everything that's going on, everything's going very well indeed uh, for this famous <laughs> planet of ours and its most talked-about species, of which I am a member, currently at least. Let's just uh, quickly uh, check uh, my current... Uh, species status uh, quickly test the blood temperature oh lovely and warm skin type only 3% reptile vertebrae all present and correct hair or fur well it's in some of the places it's supposed to be three middle ear bones yes I am all mammal uh, next check uh, uh, articulate speech yeah! Uh, abstract reasoning. Hmm. Yes, I'm a definite member of the genus Homo. And finally, am I extinct? Let me check. No! Yes, I am still uh, a human being. Um, it's always good to check. It's an amazing number of people who forget to. Joining me this week, two of my fellow planet dwellers and amongst the most sapiens of all humanids uh, from India. <laughs> uh, we have Anuvab Palan from London, Tiffany Stevenson. Hello, uh, both of you. How are you? Uh, how are you both? Um, I'm. I'll, I'll let Anuvab answer that first. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm still alive, but Tiff, Andy, let me uh, explain the situation right now in India where I am. I just recently saw King Kong versus Godzilla, uh, where two fictional monsters trampled across a whole city and destroyed it in hand-to-hand combat. That city would be tranquil compared to any Indian city right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yeah. Um, I feel like I can't complain from a little corner of North London <laughs> in my book nook um, with the sun coming through the window. I feel, I feel, yeah, that's why I wanted you to go first. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have some petty complaint to then yeah. have, oh, really? Is everyone dying? Because um, yeah. that's what's yeah. happening here. Um, so, yeah, I was in a car, a minor car accident last week. So I guess that would be my... My the, the most dramatic thing that happened. I got into a fight with an airbag, and the airbag won. Right. So was that before or after the crash? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was. Um, I tell you what, though. Uh, what's interesting is uh, Paul walked. The impact was on his side, on Scottish Scottish boyfriend's side, um, and uh, he had uh, not a scratch, whereas I got a lip laceration and loads of bruising because i think they're sort of just designed for uh for male bodies the older right. airbags and and then someone on twitter said to me well i'll tell you what's great volvo have really put a lot of money into designing them for women and i was like uh um i regret to inform you i was in a volvo <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that's been my week vaccine car crash i'm getting all the crappy stuff out the right. way so that Did you have you the know, vaccine before the car crash after post oh, right, okay. otherwise that would be a huge conspiracy yes yeah. <laughs> i was gonna yeah. say but very bad pr <laughs> uh, tiff i'll be honest with you i mean things here are really bad but that sounds pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like, you can't see the listeners obviously can't see me but i have got a bit of a i had stitches in my lip um so which like my lips swelled up it's one one way of getting free collagen like I'm trying to put the positive spin on it. Um, so yeah, so that's one way. Just have an airbag whack you in the face. Well, I think the most exciting thing that's happened to me in the last week is I made a surprisingly competent biryani. Uh, but other than that, uh, very much uh, 
no change. We are recording on the 26th of April. Uh, on this day, 1,900 years ago, uh, a historic birth. The Roman ruminator, the mighty meditator, the empathetic emperor, old Stevie Stoicism himself. Marcus, let me think about that for a minute. Aurelius, uh, born on this day in 121 AD. Uh, the man who formulated such bombo bangers as everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Way to go for creating the post-truth newscape we live in now, Marcus. Uh, he also said everything we see is a perspective, not a truth. Maybe you should stop watching American TV channels. Uh, Marky Mark. Uh, and also, you shouldn't give circumstances the power to rouse anger, for they don't care at all. And that is why he would never have made it as a radio phone-in host. Marcus, everything's got a little bit too objective in the drive-time slot. Ratings are going through the floor. I don't give a shit if the potholes in people's roads or inanimate objects that feel no guilt for what they're doing to the suspensions on people's cars. We need some fury! Uh, he also, I like uh, that you refer to him as Marky Mark. Who is the funky bunch, then? If well, Marcus well, really is... Yeah. I think the Senate. Uh, I don't know, the, the, um, Roman Senate Senior Roman legionnaires. Yeah. My history's a bit vague on it. But to be honest, my, my always sketchy Roman history is now purely based on the film Gladiator. Uh, which uh, Marcus Aurelius doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't start particularly well uh, for, <laughs> for him. Uh, also, he said, if you are distressed by anything external, that pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And this you have the power to revoke at any moment. But to be fair to Marcus Aurelius, he had never been hit square in the plums by a cricket ball after inside edging <laughs> a short of a length knit backer just outside off stump. Um, <laughs> Even with a bit box on. God, that stings. I do myself the blame. Got to get back and across. Cover the movement. Um, anyway, Nor had he uh, been punched in the tits by an airbag. True, true, true. <laughs> Roman history would be very different if those two things had happened. <laughs> uh, anyway, happy 1900th birthday uh, <laughs> to Marcus, uh, Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> Uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, an Oscars fashion review section. Uh, last night, as we record, uh, the Oscars took place. And, uh, well, we're always on the cutting edge of uh, fashion here at the Bugle. And we have a full uh, review of everything that people wore on the on the red carpet. Very disappointing lack of socks from a number <laughs> of the, uh, the women involved. Uh, Olivia <laughs> Coleman. Obviously not wearing any socks whatsoever. Some tribute that to all those who fought and died in wars for Britain whilst wearing socks. Many others wearing <laughs> floor-length uh, dresses so that even if they were wearing socks, no one would know. What are they ashamed of? The sock is arguably the garment that did most to boost human evolution. Uh, men, uh, for me, not enough headbands for my liking amongst the men involved in the Oscars. Obviously important to look as ridiculous as possible. So why not go the full McEnroe? Uh, we will be uh, speaking to our fashion expert, Harkulous P. Slanger, uh, who will talk us through the, all the highlights and highlights uh, of the, uh, the red carpet. Two who really caught Harkulous's eye were Meretricia uh, Dogsanian, the Oscar-nominated star of Magic Roundabout action spin-off, Florence and Ermintrude versus the Death Beatles of Nar. Uh, well, she turned heads with a sensational off-the-shoulder reconstituted lawnmower dress, whilst the always dapper Norris Sebastian van der Klapp, former star of the Canadian prehistoric soap opera The Moose Riders, uh, and he was nominated, of course, for Best Non-Speaking Off-Screen Role for his portrayal of the uh, controversial Olympic athlete Justin Gatlin in the 17th-century costume sci-fi drama doc frat girl comedy Mayflower 2 Alien Subterfuge. <laughs> well, he looks super smart in his salmon-skin tuxedo and faux walrus pelt neck sarong with his uh, imitation dinosaur leather the job uh, anyway that section sadly in the bin hmm. 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 
Top story this week, India news. And, well, it's been uh, a horrific time for India, uh, Anuvab, reeling under the, a surge of the world's most tedious virus as COVID-19 continues to vomit an unending torrent of spanners into the works uh, of, of the world. Just, just bring us up to date with it, exactly what the situation uh, currently is. Well, I thought a lot about how to explain to you and Tiff the least macabre version of what's happening, Andy. Thousands of Indian people across India, unvaccinated, untested, are experiencing sudden drops in levels of oxygen, being rushed to the hospital where there is no oxygen, and just dying daily. Note, this is the least macabre version of the right. story. Oh, ouch. Uh, I think I might be the darkest start we've ever had to an issue of the bugle. But here's the thing. Rather than focus on the grim facts that the world media are highlighting, I thought we could focus on the monumental collapse of governance. Such yeah. a monumental collapse that the city of Pompeii is looking at us saying, <laughs> we handled the volcano better than this. <laughs> We had a year to improve our medical infrastructure, but uh, no, our ministers went around saying while the rest of the world studied the genetic sequence of the virus, we didn't need to. We had Indian exceptionalism. We had defeated the virus because what is a virus if not a T20 cricket match? <laughs> we opened up the country to state elections and mass religious gatherings, something even a sponge wouldn't do. And a sponge doesn't even have a brain. <laughs> Our leadership and political class are so devoid of literacy or basic comprehension or motor skills that Siri in your iPhone could have delivered more hospital beds without you instructing it to. Um, while ordinary people turn to social media to basically form their little private home hospitals, in the actual government, there's ineptitude, greed and cruelty at a scale where even Stalin would say enough and Emperor Nero would second it. Uh, there is currently more empathy, Tiff Andy, in a king cobra eating a black mamba alive, both cold reptiles, than in India's government. What we are witnessing in our political leaders are, as Paul Simon wrote, twisted, sightless wrecks of men. Things are so bad, Andy, that I'm quoting Paul Simon. <laughs> are you going to Scarborough Fair? <laughs> any plane that leaves India, Tiff, I'll go anywhere. <laughs> There's no planes. India shut off from the world. And finally, I have to say, maybe this just happened. Things are so bad that the Australian fast bowler, Pat Cummings, has donated 50,000 Australian dollars as we speak. And he has done more than the Indian government. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's a lovely guy, Pat Cummins, much as he's an Australian fast bowler and therefore evil in the eyes of all England cricket fans. He, he is a, he, he's a and, and and also he said, you know, he wasn't he wasn't sure about you know the whether the people they should still be uh, continuing with the cricket tournament, the IPL, mm -hmm. while this mm -hmm. is going on, and and they've been told that you know that it's at least providing people with some some form of distraction and made this a sizable uh, sizable contribution. But it does seem. Anuvab, that you know, this continues a pattern that countries with self-serving demagogues in charge have not exactly aced this crisis. We've had, <laughs> you know, Jair Bolsonaro brought distinctly personal heartlessness to his mesmerically moronic effects to maximise the Brazilian suffering toll. Donald Trump, of course, bravely refused to allow common sense, scientific advice, or basic humanity to get in the way of his determination to give his supporters the kind of deathly mayhem they expected from him. Boris Johnson helped give Britain an impressively shit for brain head start in the European deaths race and now narendra modi renamer of cricket stadiums in his own honor poisoner of an almost miraculous secularism that has helped sustain a logistically impossible mega nation through decades of breakneck change is presiding over one of the deadliest surges of the virus uh, yet seen in march india's health minister said the country was in the end game mm -hmm. of 
the pandemic. Uh, I mean, with hindsight and indeed uh, foresight, this looks like it is at best disrespecting the chess skills of COVID, uh, which is notoriously good at, at not getting to the end game phase. It's absolutely correct. Last Saturday, when India detected cases that were going up 150% a day and TV channels were showing people rushing to hospitals, Prime Minister Modi was campaigning in my home state of West Bengal saying, I've never seen such huge crowds. Thank you for coming. Um, at least Emperor Nero was playing the fiddle or whatever that weird Roman <laughs> instrument is called. He was not also... Yeah, exactly. That that instrument. He was not also <laughs> pouring petrol in the middle of a raging fire. I've never seen such huge crowds. It's like, like you know, going to a to saying, oh, it's great to see so many people swimming at this beach where we can proudly say <laughs> we have not had a single shark attack in the last eight minutes. Well done. Well done. I mean, you it might as well have just gone around a lung cancer ward giving out free cartons of cigarettes. It was <laughs> yeah, at best yeah. insensitive. That's exactly... Um, is it completely underplaying the pandemic then turning up at rallies maskless remind you of anyone yeah i mean i think you, you pretty much said it there andy but uh it, it's also uh, yeah there's a complete there's a complete heartlessness isn't there there's people pleading for help um and uh people responding with stuff like let's try and not be a crybaby about it yes that, i mean that was extraordinary the the crybaby uh <laughs> Story. That was, yeah, Tim, that's fantastic. I mean, look, uh, because Modi lost control, people rushed to the high courts, right? They wanted court orders to get things done, to get oxygen moving. So the Delhi government is not run by Prime Minister Modi. It's an independent state government. They rushed to the high court. They said, if we don't get 480 tons of oxygen, by this evening, the system will collapse. Uh we have 24 hours to get something done or something disastrous will happen. This is what the Delhi government told the High Court. Prime Minister Modi's lawyer responded with, let's try and not be a crybaby. Um, <laughs> the only equivalent I can think for you guys is Prime Minister Suzuki Kantaro in 1945 being told Hiroshima has just happened and he responds with, wah, wah, always whining. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is a depressing episode so far. Um, I mean, crybabyism is, uh, I mean, I think it's become a political philosophy, hasn't it, uh, Tiff? One of the dominant philosophies in in politics now. From well, they spat the dummy. That's that's often. Abs yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, from people whinging about a trickle of asylum seekers flooding their countries or immigrants doing the jobs that no one else wants to do for less money than they don't want to do them for. Or complaining about you know, rupturing people rupturing their selectively constructed historical fictions. I mean, crybabyism, we've seen it sort of play out with, you know, tr with Trumpism is essentially uh, crybabyism taken to its logical conclusion, certain <laughs> strains of brexitaciousness defined by their devoted adherence to crybabyism doctrines uh, of grievance especially when that grievance is against people with genuine grounds for grievance who are expressing being aggrieved that can tip, actually tip crybabyism into full tantrumism uh, which uh, I'm not sure there's anything that we can go beyond but, but uh, yeah that maybe that's naive I'm not surprised that these <laughs> these politicians aren't good at managing oxygen because they do produce a lot of hot air um, I mean the fact that people are taking to as you you sort of alluded to to that, the the people were like creating their own mini hospitals. Mm -hmm. So people are taking to Twitter and saying, "Can you get me this piece of equipment? I'm in I'm in dire straits." I mean, it's 
like awful to witness and 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 you feel utterly helpless from the other side of the i'm sure as people there feel utterly helpless to do anything about it yeah, exactly. So citizens have sort of, you know, are helping each other. People have set up WhatsApp groups and helplines. And you would think that the government would respond, right, seeing all this is pleas for help on Twitter. Instead, um, the government yesterday announced that uh, Twitter handles that are critical of the government should be removed. Um, and a message is being sent out to journalists saying the media need to be positive and to forget the past. The past being two hours ago. <laughs> And apparently the government is not to blame. The system is to blame. Uh, this reminds me of the Terry Jones film, Eric the Viking. Uh, if you remember, King Arnolf was on his island nation of high Brazil and he kept saying, stay calm. This is not happening as his island nation sank. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because they found the time, uh, at least the Indian government, and their busy schedule to tell Twitter to block some tweets that were less than complimentary about Modi and his handling of the power. I mean, it's handling an appropriate word. I mean, I guess, you know, when you pick up a priceless ancient vase and smash it on the floor, you have handled it in a way. I like, I like that it said uh, uh, the uh, t- Twitter complied uh, with the order to remove the tweets, preventing residents in the country from viewing the posts from people who include a state minister, an opposition member of the Indian parliament, filmmakers, an actor, two journalists and several ordinary people. The ordinary people are at it again (laughs) with their opinions. Yes, yes. (laughs) You know, they're they're hating these tweets that say, I can't breathe and I'm dead. It makes the government (laughs) look very bad. They are not happy with these tweets. And and like Andy said, you know, of course, they have no other priorities, right? Obviously, this is the number one concern, public image. Um, it just happened that uh, the Jelly chief minister was so desperate that on a, an emergency private call with the prime minister and everybody, um, he decided that he was going to live telecast it just to show how nothing is happening in these meetings. And so the prime minister stopped the meeting and said, uh, and everyone thought he's going to say something groundbreaking. And he said, uh, is this going out live on TV? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's breaking protocol. That's the only thing he said. And the Delhi chief says, I'm really sorry I would. That was his main concern. His main concern was not that the city he lives in is going to have no people. That was his main concern. Uh, I was interested, you, talk, you mentioned Indian exceptionalism. Modi, in a, in a speech uh, on Saturday in, in West Bengal, and, uh, when he was campaigning at this rally, he said, India defeated COVID last year, and India can do it again. Now, there's a slight problem with this, in that India did not defeat COVID last year, <laughs> as we are seeing now. They didn't defeat COVID any more than England defeated the West Indies in the 1984 <laughs> Test Series, because they won the coin toss before the first match of five, and scored the first run of the series before Graham Fowler was out to make the score one for one then Andy Lloyd was hospitalised and never played international cricket again and England were thrashed in all five tests but if you count that as a win it's a win I mean things are so bad guys there's a petition going around uh, because uh, one of the New Zealand cricketers playing in the IPL has gone back to New Zealand because he just you know things are too dangerous and uh, there's a request going a petition handed over to him if they could send back Jacinda Ardern to be our Prime Minister (laughs) (laughs) they would allow him to break his IPL contract if we could do a one-to-one exchange everyone wants dibs on Jacinda I feel like (laughs) like it should be like jury service everyone will get two weeks 
two weeks of just in a, like she could just go around all the countries and, and sort it all out the covid response the infrastructure everything that would be great wouldn't it but well she's gonna have to go to mount everest if she's gonna do that because covid has even reached there a norwegian <laughs> climber and a sherpa have tested positive for uh, for covid19 i mean that doesn't give much hope for the if you can't socially distance <laughs> on mount everest it doesn't give much hope for the more crowded parts of, uh, I, of the world i thought that headline was bad because it said coronavirus reaches mount everest which makes it sound like the little virus that could <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, humans thousands of years ago this done it in, in, under a year and a half and we, we thought corona was big-headed before but now we have coronavirus the adventurer it's basically corona and ben fogel and that is we just don't need it corona blogging about the view and what what a journey it's been on to get there <laughs> on the radio and chat so, show circuit convincing everyone that the sherpas love it and it's great bants and what else are you going to do in your gap year anyway <laughs> it's either this or white water rafting with your great uncle teddy um i don't think corona needs to get any more big-headed than it currently is i love this sherpa that was interviewed um i've i've never been anywhere near mount everest but apparently he said uh luckily we we had a helicopter and we got this guy out of there because it's quite crowded up there and he could have infected a whole bunch of people what's going on on top of mount everest <laughs> Well, I mean, you do hear these these complaints that Everest has become become too crowded and they're giving too many permits. <laughs> but it does make you think, maybe, I think what we need now, and I know the world's got other focuses, but I think we need some higher mountains. That clearly, <laughs> Everest is not enough of a challenge anymore. Maybe they need to like, you know, pop, uh, pop, you know, we've got a few spare mountains in Europe. There's way too many Alps uh, as it is. We could maybe... Chuck an Alp on top of Mount Everest, get someone up to you know, to kind of twelve, thirteen thousand meters instead. And uh, is Matterhorn what's the highest in? It's not. The, the, that's not the highest, but it's a that's a crafty one. The Matterhorn, I think. Uh, Mont Blanc is the. Uh, it's, it's the the Matterhorn looks great. That's a great looking mountain. That is uh, <laughs> a dreamboat. So, mountain let's objectify these <laughs> mountain. Oh, really fits. Really, really love the jagged outline. Hard cut. <laughs> rocky abs oh yeah <laughs> i expected a lot of things on this podcast but not erotic mountains <laughs> <laughs> well maybe we can open this up to our listeners we can update rather than hotties from history let's move on from humans to land formations that give you the horn um <laughs> What's the there's matter? They, you got the a, horn. <laughs> there's a reason they called it the Horn of Africa. Um, uh, but it's not all bad news when it comes to uh, to COVID in, in India, uh, Anivad, because, you know, COVID has brought out much of the worst in some of our leaders. It's, but it's also brought out much of the best in humanity around the world, the selfless devotion to duty of health workers around the world, the genius of scientists, even if they are motivated by, motivated by greed, according to Boris Johnson, but still wizards uh, in my book as they count their, uh, their ill-earned money. Uh, and all those, those greedy volunteers around the world who've stepped up to the various plates slapped down by this crisis. But, but one area where we've seen humanity coming to the fore is in the world's thieves who've been inspired to be better. No, not all of them, but at least one of them in, in India, someone who'd stolen 1,700 doses of COVID vaccine from a hospital, returned them with a note saying, sorry, I didn't know they were, they were COVID, uh, COVID vaccines. So, I mean, it just, just shows that everyone is, 
is doing their bit, even if it if it you know adversely affects their own line of work. You're absolutely right, Andy. Petty criminals have really stepped up when the nation needed them. <laughs> um, this this thief was really repentant. He left a note. Uh, he couldn't even. So he's he's not even literate. So he got someone to write a note saying he was sorry. That's how dedicated thieves are in India in in contributing to you know while our leaders are reptilian, spineless. <laughs> hollow uh, pieces of fecal sludge. These people are <laughs> stepping up. I don't feel strongly about this at all, clearly. Um, I mean, the situation here is completely under control. I mean, I've locked up my parents, my 75-year-old parents, in what I think is a criminal act. I don't think you can <laughs> legally lock them up. But there are no police stations open, so I'll deal with this when when they come out alive, well, if there are well, any police stations left. So, anyway, if people are making their own hospitals at home, you can make your own jail and call <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I don't have any problem with this. But yeah, I mean, thieves have stepped up. Um, a lot of, you know, local uh, sort of cheats and people who would uh, cheat you on small things in India, like medical supplies, are providing things for free. Um, uh, loads of uh, companies that were closed because of environmental pollution uh, are begging the courts to reopen so they can make oxygen. Suddenly, uh, 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 in what is sort of a, a very crooked, devious class of people, a certain magnanimity has emerged. Uh, <laughs> whereas, whereas our leaders are very worried about Twitter. So that's the average citizen, especially the average criminal citizen, has really stepped up. <laughs> Right, it's time to move on now to uh, to British news. Uh, Boris Johnson has had another exciting week of uh, self exculpation, um, and um, <laughs> which is his prime hobby at the moment. And uh, he can now claim the nickname Shaggy for a very impressive range of different reasons, I mean, from his willful incompetence projecting hair to his trouserial uh, predilections to his convoluted stories his shaggy dog stories if you will explaining why someone something that looks obviously very dodgy indeed is in fact perfectly fine um to being as suitable a person for being prime minister as the character shaggy from scooby-doo <laughs> to as we now see on an almost hourly basis channeling the reggae star shaggy and claiming it wasn't me so um um He's he's claimed he acted with honesty and integrity with regard to his affair and dealings with Jennifer R. Curry, which caused panic and tears at the Oxford English Dictionary, as it turns out that honesty now encompasses not total dishonesty all the time as a definition, and integrity means whatever the f*** you can get away with. And, um, well, Tiff, uh, Dominic Cummings has, uh, has um, well, the pro-celebrity shit-stirrer has emerged um, from the, uh, the political woodwork and launched vicious attacks on his uh, former client's uh, Boris Johnson. I mean, it's getting it's getting quite vicious. Described as uh, rats fighting in a sack uh, by, <laughs> by the Labour Party. The, the, I mean, it's just, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a great contest, if nothing else, for the neutral. <laughs> well, liar Dominic calling out liar Boris. Do two liars make a truther? <laughs> Possibly. Um, I, I mean, I was waiting for Boris to come out and say he also shagged James Dyson, but acted with integrity. <laughs> Um, I think and that's, I'm just, that's just averaging out all the stories, I think. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I um, but I, is anyone else beginning to think that that Henry the Hoover in the corner of the press room was a coded message to James Dyson? 
<laughs> well, so just so the the press room, which uh, we could t- talk about in, a, in more detail later. There's a new press room. It costs two point six million pounds, and then they thought, "Oh no, we're not going to bother using it." It's essentially a propaganda facility. <laughs> yeah, not the most British of British things, despite all the flag. You can put lots of flags on it. It doesn't make it British. Um, and uh, there was there was a photo t- taken to sort of show, "Oh, look at this wonderful new facility," and someone had left the, the uh, Henry Hoover. <laughs> Um, but, uh, in, the, in the corner and yeah i don't know if dyson would have taken carly to that yeah i feel i feel i feel it was definitely a coded a coded message i'm so dominic's saying basically um we're getting a clear picture now of why boris wouldn't sack him after the barnard castle um a clearer clear unlike dominic's eyesight obviously um but i think dominic has too much on boris johnson so you know he's revealed that there were these text exchanges going through going back and forth between dyson and boris around tax affairs um that they were going to get donors to fund uh the refurbishment of number 10 and then dominic dominic sort of I don't know whether the leaks come from him or saying someone else has been saying it's been leaked. Then someone else at number 10. Basically, we need a packet of tenor lady because these guys are leaking all over the place. So it's it's not even clear where where the leaks are coming from. But um, it's it's basically, you know, his greatest ally is now his biggest enemy. And I think Boris it pro- probably is, is rightfully... Uh, shit right up <laughs> by by this by this news um and, and i don't know whether we should break it down into because you probably want to talk about the indi- individual aspects but i do want to raise very specifically the fact that 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 boris was looking to raise uh well an ally of mr johnson defended the charity plan so they were talking about setting up a charitable fund to refurbish number 10 um and and an ally of johnson said last night downing street is as, is as iconic as windsor castle but is in danger of becoming tatty because the civil service does everything on the cheap a new charity with privately raised money to preserve it in great shape for all time is great value for the taxpayer and a great idea sure cut universal credit because number 10 <laughs> number 10 needs a facelift like that doesn't even make any sense at least you can walk around windsor castle like you don't get, they're trying to make it they're trying to make out like it's comparable to the white house like a makeover is important for a building appropriate for a building of such huge importance it's the house that comes with the job it's basically a gardener's cottage or a manse stop trying to make it st paul's cathedral <laughs> you can't compare it to the white house it's a mid-terrace in london you can't even stick an extension on this thing like what are you talking about you can't say it's a building of historical importance and that we should be paying for it um, but if I have, I have a quick question for you and and Andy, um, don't you think though if this approach is very discouraging for politicians, having grown up in a culture where basically doing big business, doing favours for politicians is essentially the rule, um, uh, and I've seen that in India for thirty years, what is even the point of doing favours for big business if they can't help <laughs> out with a contractor to redo the kitchen? <laughs> what is even the point of life actually? <laughs> One of the aspects of this that is quite fascinating is who paid for this this, this renovation. And uh, Trade Secretary Liz Truss told the BBC that Johnson had paid for the renovation costs, quotes, from his own pocket. <laughs> but it may transpire that that pocket of his was there after he just put on a brand new pair of trousers given to him by some passing Tory party donors, <laughs> as they whispered in his ear, oh, buy yourself something nice, we know where you live. <laughs> um, so it's it's hard to know 
Uh, I mean, they're, they're so. I mean, the thing is, I don't think it's going to uh, affect uh, Johnson because you know the, the idea, as you said, Tiff, that you know Dominic Cummings has all this dirt on him. Uh, Boris Johnson came into office as a, a, you know a, a almost homeopathic trace of human in a mound of dirt. <laughs> so extra dirt is, is not going to really have <laughs> great impact on him. And uh, Dominic uh, Cummings um, suggested that it was you know the the plan to get donors to pay for the flat was possibly illegal. Eagle, in his words, he said, it's sad to see the Prime Minister and his office fall so so far below the standards of competence and integrity the country deserves. To which I would say, f*** you, Cummings. With all due respect to this, to Cummings and Johnson, this absolute pair of chances, questioning Johnson's competence and integrity is like questioning a dolphin's ability to climb mountains and juggle. Those cards were slapped firmly and proudly <laughs> on the table. Besides... Mr. Cummings, if you're listening, you were instrumental, were you not, in persuading the country to vote for this level of incompetence <laughs> and this level of lack of integrity. So do not tell us, the voting public, what we do and do not deserve. <laughs> the um, Dyson texts uh, issue is uh, it's quite a complicated issue on uh, um, Sir James Dyson contacting Johnson directly uh, and that the tax issue was about uh, the taxation status of, of uh, workers for the Dyson company were they to come and, and work in Britain uh, it's I mean it all occurred during the tragically inept early months of the crisis and Johnson said that he made no apologies what he said last week he made no apologies for moving heaven and earth uh, to get hold of these ventilators that Dyson had offered in the end uh, uh, it's not clear whether he moved heaven uh, or, or Earth, but certainly no <laughs> ventilators emerged uh, from this. But also think back to those early days of the crisis. The only way Boris Johnson could claim to have moved heaven and Earth was if heaven and Earth were his nicknames for his butt cheeks, and he moved them <laughs> so that they were not sitting on a chair in, for example, five consecutive meetings of the Cobra Emergency <laughs> Committee early on in the crisis, when moving even small parts of Earth might have made a massive difference to the number of people having an unscheduled appointment with Heaven. He also wouldn't have had to move Heaven, heaven and Earth if he'd moved his own fucking eyeballs over the text of the report, warning about the UK's dangerous lack of preparedness for pandemics, or just looked at what was happening elsewhere in the world and thought, well, maybe we can learn from that, even if they are foreign. <laughs> Andy, there is now an image of Boris Johnson's posterior in my head that makes the crisis in India far worse for me personally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep for a week. Um, I just have a quick um, exchange offer for uh, my friends in Britain. Uh, Dominic Cummings called Boris Johnson mad and totally unethical. Uh, he is sending us 350 oxygen concentrators today. Uh, we'll take him. Because <laughs> mad and totally unethical leads to a corrupt flat, but also oxygen, con oxygen concentrators for us. Sane and dictatorial is what we have right now, leads to a country on fire. So <laughs> if, you, if you let go, we'll take him. Yes. Well, you can embrace cronyism. cronyism. Um, yeah. You're right, Tiff. Yeah, because, I mean, all the things you guys are complaining about, I was quiet because I was having difficulty figuring out where the ethical problems were. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
there was a resignation from the government. Johnny Mercer, the veterans minister, uh, well, he was about to resign and then he was sacked after telling the government that he uh, was going to resign uh, out of uh, what he described as courtesy. Uh, he said, uh, I, I felt like I was treated like shit throughout <laughs> as, a, as a government minister and said the government was the most distrustful. Uh, he said it was the most awful environment he's ever worked in. And bear in mind, he fought in Helmand province in Afghanistan and uh, working for the Boris Johnson government was less awful than that. Um, uh, he uh, uh, he said, but this 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 could be. We talk about you know the the, the bombshell, you know, the getting Al Capone on on tax. But this could be the thing that really brings down the Johnson government because uh, Johnny Mercer, after being uh, uh, being sacked, said almost nobody in government tells the truth, and surely that is the true scandal because he said almost there is someone in the government who is telling the truth. Can they root out the mole before it's too late? <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about uh, people uh, doing their jobs who we maybe prefer weren't doing their jobs. Uh, news now of someone who didn't do their job um, for 15 years and managed to continue, uh, continually get paid for it. Um, a hospital worker in uh, Italy. Uh, apparently managed to get paid for a decade and a half without turning up to work. Anuvab, you are our heroic skiving correspondent. Yes, I am. Um, uh, just, uh, and I, you know, I know you you have have not done a full day's work since uh, I think it was sixteen eighty four. So uh, bring us up to date with the story. Well, the first of all, you know, I I really love that you know most of the things that people say about Italy often come true in newspapers <laughs> and I'm, I really respect Italy for that. Uh, Salvatore Scomacci is an, was an Italian uh, worker at Chiaccio Hospital uh, in the city of Catanzaro. He made news headlines in Italy this week when Italy's financial police announced that they were investigating his remarkable record of absenteeism. Um, I've been absent a few times in my life, Andy. Um, I have friends who missed a whole year of school and have come out reasonably well. Um, this man missed 15 years of work <laughs> and he was still paid. And the investigators said, we blame inefficiency of checks at all levels. Um, in my book, I want to know what you guys think about this, but in my book, this man is a hero. This man should not be investigated. If anybody, the head of human resources should be fired. Maybe his boss should be fired. This man deserves some sort of a national award from his country. Well, absolutely. You think of all the people through history uh, who, had they taken 15 years off rather than doing what they did, would have made the world a considerably better place. I mean, we mentioned Stalin earlier on. I mean, if Stalin had you know, knocked off in 1930-odd, uh, <laughs> Uh, I think you know a, a lot of Russians would have been quite pleased pleased with that. Um, it's I mean in many ways I think he should be he should be an inspiration. Uh, I mean people work too hard and you know well done him for trying to balance ba balance that out. And also I mean really what is not working for fifteen years other than just taking your retirement early? Uh, and, you know, do you not need to spread the workload around the retirement. Italian. Retirement is wasted. I've said this before. Retirement is wasted on the old. Uh, and you know, people like to keep occupied when they're old. So you should retire like he did in the, yeah, during his career. And uh, <laughs> The Italian not job. 
<laughs> I just, yeah, you've got to admire it. Although I do think uh, looking a little bit deeper, scraping a little bit away from the, the top of the story, apparently someone did try to report him, but then uh, a, a woman that worked in human resources raised a, a, a query about it and then people started appearing outside her house. So <laughs> she very much just sort of left it alone and never mentioned it again. So apparently it's like quite a, a, a like quite a big thing. This is yeah. is it in Calibria where Calabria, this has happened. Yeah, yeah in Calibria. Yeah. And I really loved that he was shocked that there was an investigation. <laughs> <laughs> All he needs to do is declare himself a prince and he can come to Britain and do the same. <laughs> Uh, we are approaching the end of this week's bugle. Shortly after we recorded uh, last week, uh, we had the uh, the verdict from the George George Floyd case. We will uh, address the issues surrounding this in a in a future edition of, of the bugle. But there was an extraordinary reaction to it from uh, Fox News host Tucker Carlson, uh, who, in the aftermath of the verdict, uh, issued a warning. Now, you might think, you know, he might be warning of a flowering of belated justice or a massive improvement in police standards and techniques across the USA. But instead, he warned of an attack on civilization um, caused by people supporting um, uh, George Floyd. It was one of, uh, even in the universe of, of Fox News and the American right wing, this was as tone deaf and inane as pretty much anything that's that that we've heard in 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 recent years uh, do you not think you had tommy laren as well on twitter like saying something like you got your justice we were like oh i thought justice was for everyone it's quite clear that you don't consider this to be justice um yeah it's sort of mad isn't it people showing their ass <laughs> oh with uh but did you think fox news could sink lower or did you think they'd already well, I, I mean, there's always, um, yeah. I, I guess it's you know when like when you watched Usain Bolt in the early years of his career, you thought, well, I mean, surely he's taken sprinting to its extreme, and he kept doing greater and greater things. And I guess you know Fox News is is like that. You you think, oh, there's there's nothing more that they can do, and they always find, you know, that's the genius of Fox News that there is no barrel uh, to which they have yet found uh, an an adequate bottom um, that that cannot be drilled through with the power drill of f***ery which they bring to, uh, to to journalism. And on the subject of justice, I mean, justice, people say, justice is supposed to be blind. But I guess the problem in America is that justice has uh, generally merely been hiding its eyes behind those special high-performance sports sunglasses that increase the contrast between colours. We will return to this story uh, in uh, weeks to come. That brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Before we go, uh, Tiff, uh, tell yes. us about... Uh, your show that has joined the Bugle Stable. Yes, yes. Thank you for letting my horse enter into your stable. I that's we'll take that out, or maybe <laughs> leave it in. Maybe leave it in. I don't mind. Uh, Tiny Revolutions, which is the show where I talk to uh, comedians, uh, rock stars, actors, journalists, uh, creators about the things in their life that have been tiny revolutions. So their their favourite films and. TV, uh, political moments that have changed them and moved them, people that they've met that have influenced their work. Uh, and it's called Tiny Revolutions and comes out every Wednesday. We've already uh, had episodes out with Armando Iannucci, which was fantastic. We had Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro. We had Maisie Richardson Sellers. We have Roisin Conaty coming up. Al Madrigal, uh, W. Kamalbao, Nato Green will be on uh, Wednesday's episode. 
Uh, Anurab, anything to, to plug? Well, I'm going to very quickly plug Tiff Stevenson's show. I just heard it. It's excellent. Um, but also, this is the last week on Radio 4 uh, of a show I did called Future Empire Effect. Um, it was a study of India uh, and where Britain and India's relationship is heading with one Andy Zaltzman. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he's an Indian cricket commentator. Uh, so that's on for another week on Radio 4. Oh, right. Uh, on, the, on the Radio 4 website. I didn't realise that was coming down. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Just, well, I'll, I'll post a link to that on the Bugle, Bugle Twitter feed. Bugleverse doing it all. You've got cricket, you've got culture, <laughs> you've got comedy. World, yeah. <laughs> yeah, comedy, cricket, culture. It's all happening. Um, we will be back uh, next week. I'm also currently uh, hosting the News Quiz on Radio 4, which you can also find on the Radio 4 uh, website for the next few weeks. And we will play you out uh, with some lies about our premium-level voluntary subscribers to join them uh, and to make a recurring or one-off uh, contribution to The Bugle to keep it free free from adverts and independent and flourishing. Go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Martin Richter thinks the world has become too set on a regular calendar. It gets a bit numbingly predictable having the same 12 months every year, bleats Martin, not to mention the same 52 and a bit weeks, and the same 365, or if you're feeling a bit Olympics-y, 366 days. Why not mix it up a bit? Why not try some years with 15 months, some with 9? You could have more holiday in the longer years, but also less long to wait for your birthday in the shorter ones. Plus, it would make tax a lot more exciting for the accountants. Max Kalika is more in favour of doing away with months entirely and instead giving each week its own name. Sure, says Max, I would miss the old classics like October, January, April and the rest, but selling the naming rights for 52 new micro-months could fund everything the world needs to be fixed, I reckon, calculates Max. Every time you wrote, it's the 7th of Teslember in your diary, you would feel happy that Elon Musk is saving an endangered goat or something. Shea Flanagan, however, is concerned about what would happen with the one or in leap years two days left over from the 52 micro-month year. I guess you could award a special day to the best human of the year according to some kind of algorithm, ventures Shea, or to avoid arguments, just give it to someone discernibly special, the reigning world snooker champion maybe, or the winner of the Grammy Award for best backing vocals in a scar-funk skiffle cover of a 90s rap song, whatever works. Or maybe, to please the Brits, just name it after the Queen, they'd love it. Mark Isaacs would blend the suggestions posited by Martin and Max and suggest that the years could be mixed up according to another algorithm. They can do most things, the algorithms, says Mark, and I'd love to live in a world where you had a 400-day year with 85-day weeks, followed by a year that's 330 days long with 33 11-day weeks, each with a three-day weekend and a day off in the middle, especially if you didn't know what the year was going to be until one minute to midnight on the 31st of December, or whatever the last day of the year happened to be. Andy Chalice agrees and argues that the unpredictability of this system could boost creativity and thus economic productivity worldwide. You could even have the odd 245-day year with only one week, says Andy, comprising 175 days of unbroken work, followed by an absolute whopper of a 70-day weekend. Obviously, says Andy, that's not great if you work weekends, but otherwise, sign me up. As long as it averages out around the 365 and a quarter day mark over each 100 or so years, I reckon things will be okay. And moving away from the issue of years, months and days, Dan Carlson had at one point made detailed costed plans to build and open a new museum, the Museum of Unfulfilled Ideas, chronicling and commemorating all the potentially revolutionary concepts, inventions and political movements that could have made a positive contribution to the world had they actually come about. 
In the end, however, Dan never got round to setting it up. If I ever do get round to it though, says Dan, all those ideas about variable years and stuff are going straight in. They're good, but they'll never happen. The 24-7-365 and 12 months lobbies have got it all sewn up. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.